0: Hey there, friends. Coming at you with another episode of the Pure Gravel Podcast. This time around, we chat with Ian Boswell, winner of the Pure Gravel Power Rankings this year. It's a really fascinating and wide-ranging discussion that covers a ton of ground, so buckle up. It's a fun ride. Um, Ian gives us tremendous insight and perspective on a number of topics we break down his big wins in emporia at unbound belgian waffle ride north carolina and we also get a really good look at the mentality and the perspective that he brought into the racing season uh, going so far even as to consult and chat with a lot of his fellow pros in terms of these ever-changing and constantly evolving rules around gravel racing and making sure that he didn't violate any of the spirit of gravel um, that's so important to the sport. I think that speaks tremendously to his pro-level mentality and coming off the world tour the way he did just a couple of years ago. Uh, We talk a lot, too, about the fun he's having, how much fun he had this year racing and training at the level he did. And, oh, by the way, uh, he's a full-time employee at Wahoo, so... Uh, for everybody out there that's grinding away and trying to maintain fitness, Ian's out there racing and training as hard as he is and knocking down a full-time job, very high profile with one of the biggest names in the sport. We also get into a little bit about his training and what the calendar looks like next year for him. And on the training side, here's the super secret insider tip he shares with us his training methodology. And, and your, your teaser is that it's not based on power. Okay, so dig in for that. we we'll get into that a little later on in the episode. It's a really fun conversation. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Pure Gravel Podcast with Ian Boswell. It's the podcast style normal, so no
1: worries. Okay, sweet. Yeah, it just helps my connectivity and I don't want uh,
0: yeah my call to drop or be broken up. No, I appreciate that. My internet bubbles around here a lot too with two of us working at home all the time and all the other things we got plugged in, so I appreciate that. Yeah, well, we're really out in the sticks. I think we have like
1: someone asked me, like, hey, do you want to do a Zwift race? I'm like, I can't. (laughs) Like it's too slow. We haven't got 5G to that part of Vermont yet, eh? No, no. And people are saying, like, oh yeah, the vaccine has 5G. I'm like, well, if it did, then I'm sure I would have internet. (laughs) Like if we can figure
0: that out, why can't we figure out internet in rural areas? Pump it right through my skin if you have to make it work. Yeah. Dude, it's it's good to catch up with you. I appreciate you making the time.
1: Yeah, no, super happy to be here. And, and thank you for the award. I've been, um, yeah, congratulated many a time by different folks, both near and far. So I appreciate, uh, yeah, appreciate winning that this year.
0: That's so cool to hear. Um, I, I, it's got to be interesting to win an award you didn't even know you were in the running for.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess I remember the power rankings, I guess, in 2019 when they happened, you know, because I was just starting to think about coming over to Gravel. And like, you know, you had these rankings and I remember Pete was up there. Um, so I remember, you know, people shared on their social media. So I remembered seeing it. And then I guess obviously with 2020, you know, not many races happened. I kind of had not forgotten about it, but just kind of wasn't, you know, there's a lot of things happening. I, I uh, yeah, when I won, it, I went back and looked through all the, you know, how you guys calculate, I'm like, oh, wow. They spent a lot of time diving into this and, and figuring it out. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see that there is this, you know, unspecific to individual events or a series, you know, but like a collective of kind of, you know, original events that add up all these points to a, you know, a winner.
0: Yeah. Chris put a lot of time into the calculations and the weighting of the different events and things like that. And for next year, I think we'll be able to be a little more out in front of it and publish kind of an ongoing uh, standings out there. But um, man, you dominated the year for sure. What? One, two, three, four big wins. A second uh, at SBT, that's a that's a healthy year, buddy. Did you where was that a reset? Like, were you all ready to launch that in twenty twenty, or was twenty twenty going to be kind of a ramp up year to twenty one? No,
1: I don't think that um, I would have had the year had we not had twenty twenty. Just a year of not racing, because I mean, really, what it what it did more than anything was just change my perspective, and you know, it kind of allowed me to just get back to the, the basics of, of riding and loving my bike. So I definitely entered gravel this year with like a different perspective than I would have in, in 2020. Um, but no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect to have the success this year just because it was also new and different, you know, and whether it was the races, the equipment, you know, especially an event like unbound, you know, I was like, cool. I just want to have a clean run at it and like learn because you know, I hadn't done the, you know, the aid stations before, or just knowing the tire pressure, you know, what to carry, what not to carry. Um, I was like, this is like a learning experience. And so every time, you know, the group kept getting smaller, I was like, oh, wow, like I've made the next level. And yeah, it was a, it was a cool year overall, just to, you know, actually be able to be out there at these events and see what they're all about. Cause I didn't get
0: any of that in, in 2020. Right. We all, we were all jonesing for, for that type of experience, whether as fans or participants or racers um when you think about when you go back to that unbound race we pure gravel was lucky enough to get to cover it we kind of leapfrogged you guys out on the course all day caught up with you at certain points it seemed that it was kind of the ultimate race of attrition it it, certainly was just on all day long but it just seemed like the group just kept whittling its way down just on its own accord rather than because of big stinging attacks or long breakaways and things like that How did it play out in in your mind as the guy that was at the front all day?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I get you, you said it perfectly. And it was strange to see that a bike race wasn't really won by any attacks. I mean, it's like, it literally like the exact scenario you said, like no one really ever attacked. I mean, Pete put it, you know, raised the pace through the little Egypt section, which like split, split up the group, but it's funny thinking back to it. I'm like, Oh, there was never like a breakaway or an attack off the front. You know, it was just more, than anything, people dropping off the pace behind. And I think that was what was so, you know, fun for me. It's like you kind of like I said you you make it to the next level, like you've passed that section. You know, there were kind of a few key moments um throughout the day. But I mean when you look back and think that it was, you know, I think it was after a hundred miles or so that it was down to five of us. Um which is still, you know, you're only halfway through the race. And you know, we were still racing. And I think for all of us, you know, there, I think there's a sense of every you know everyone who participates is you know, you want to do as best you can, but you get to a point where you're like, we just want to get it done. And I think after, you know, 115 miles and we knew this was kind of the lead group, everyone was just like, all right, let's just keep riding hard because we're going to get back faster. You know, like we're having a good time, but like, we just want like every mile you can stay with the group and rotate. It's like, cool. I'm like one mile closer to getting back to Emporia. And so I think that was, um, you know, we rode like that for really, you know, the next 70 miles until Pete had attacked going into that last unmaintained section. And yeah, then there was another, another split made there, but yeah, I mean, of all the bike races I've done in my life, um, it was just so fun, I guess, you know, partially the expectations were so low and partially it was just new and different. And, you know, I had a good day and, you know, that it was with such a good group of, of riders as well, you know, and it was, it was my second ever gravel race after I did that rule of three, a couple of weeks prior. So, um, just to really feel like a, a novice again, you know, especially just being in the group and like, all right, well, I like, I don't know, like Colin at one point had a small puncture or a slow leak. And I was like, well, I've heard like, we're supposed to like wait for him. So we just like rolled easy. And it was just like such a good learning experience about the kind of the culture of gravel and the mindset of it as well. Um, And then, yeah, to go on and win, it was, like I said, you know, a huge, a huge victory and probably something I did not really expect the, I guess the aftermath of it, you know, I knew it was a big event, but I just didn't fully grasp how big of a, you know, a stage it is now for not just, you know, North American cycling, but globally.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting, and it kind of speaks to the the concept of gravel racing here in the US, you win this big race which is the longest race even if it were a world tour race it'd be longer than the longest one day race on the calendar and you come across the line and then you're sitting on the curb in the middle of all the fans that are sitting there <laughs> it's not really like being whisked away backstage and getting ready for podium or anything like that it's, it's very authentic and very genuine you're sitting on the curb uh mopping your own dirty face on in the middle of, the, of emporia kansas
1: Yeah. Which is, I think is, you know, it's something that I, it might sound strange, but it's something that I really missed when I was racing in the world tour. Of course, it's fantastic to be, you know, catered to and have a chef and a mechanic and all that. But, you know, when I think about when I first got into cycling, you know, it was like, you know, living in, in Bend, Oregon, you know, like waking up at 3am to make a pot of oatmeal to drive over the past to do a 10 mile time trial and like, you know, pumping up your tires and just that, you know, that sense of being involved in, in your race, but just the whole community of a race, you know, and, and, speaking to people about, you know, equipment or certain sections. I think that's what's so, you know, communal about it is that everyone's, you know, for the most part looking after themselves and, you know, people are happy to share information. I think that open access of, you know, connecting with people at events and and really just the openness of information, you know, it's oftentimes in professional road racing, you find these barriers where like everyone has their secrets. Like we're not going to tell you what tire pressure we ride or, you know, what this little, you know, contraption is about, um, but gravel is very open and, you know, people share what they're, share what they're doing. You know, I could have asked, you know, anyone who I knew was riding the same tires as I was that, you know, what pressure they're going to ride and this and that, and, and everyone would be open to, to share those, you know, those lessons, especially people who had done it multiple times before.
0: You guys are all, I would imagine all pretty close. You've known each other or grown up racing together. You race together in Europe and things like that. It, and you're all working very hard, obviously, in the middle of a race. Is there a lot of chit-chat at the, at the front end of, of an important race like that? Certainly when, when the racing time is on, I would imagine, no, you're breathing too hard. But in the middle of it, is there is there any just normal chit-chat or any minor smack talk going on or anything like that? Um, I wouldn't say smack talk more just, I mean, I
1: feel like I was, you know, especially in, in unbound, um, you know, because we still had such a long way to go. And with five of us, you know, we were kind of always in a rotating pace line and you think at these vents are still moving, you know, at the front at 20 miles an hour. So it's, you know, you're on a long straight road and sometimes you're just trying to get through it. But, um, I really like to keep things fun in the group. So I remember we were coming up to that I guess we did. We all decided to stop at the neutral water stop. Um, I forget what mile it was. Like maybe one thirty or one forty. I remember that we were right there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and so Pete's like, "Dude, we got to stop." And I was like, "No, we'll be fine." And he's like, "We're gonna stop right." And like, you know, just trying to like, because I know some things that happened at at Gravel Locos, and I was like very aware. Just speaking to Pete ahead of time, like, you know, understanding the the mindset and the culture of it. And so, of course, I was gonna stop with everyone, but I told Pete, I'm like, "No, man, I'm good. I'm just gonna keep going." <laughs> <laughs> And like, of course, we stopped and I was just joking. And I think just little, especially when it's your friends, it's like keeping little, you know, little bits of humor in the peloton at that time. But, you know, it really helps me. It probably frustrated Pete because, you know, I was pulling his leg. But um,
0: no, it, it is fun to, you know, keep the mood light. I think, too, that the fact that it that you and Lawrence had the ability to even sprint at the end of 200 and some odd miles at, at the end of that speaks to the, all those years of world tour build up in your body and in your legs um how did that last couple miles play out did you guys just look at each other and say we're this is coming down to a sprint here buddy best best man wins well i mean yeah we, we said that i think once we got away from
1: from pete and ted and i think about 10 miles to go um you know lawrence is like he's like an old experienced rider who kept trying to trick me into like come on in you got to pull fa- like faster they're gonna i'm like I have a, I can see the speed we're traveling. We're going the same speed when I'm pulling, when you're pulling. And it's not like it's a massive variation of terrain, um, which is just, you know, being a kg old pro. Um, but yeah, right. we kind of made a, a mutual agreement to, Hey, let like let's bring this down to a sprint. Um, and we'd both said that and we both knew the final mile or so into town. And I was like, oh, will like, I'll attack him up the hill. And sure enough, like he attacked up that little riser through the, I think it's the college there before I did. Um, and yeah, I, you know, was able to hang with him there. That was kind of the last moment we knew that one of us, you know, the goal was like, someone's going to crack there. And that's kind of the effort. I think we both took into that last little kicker, which isn't much, but at the end of 200 miles feels like a lot. Right. Um, and so, yeah, neither of us really kind of cracked there. And and I just knew that, you know, I'm not a great sprinter and of, of anyone who I could beat, you know, Lawrence is probably one of them. Um, and so I just knew that you know it's going to work best for me if so the minute we I caught him over the top of the hill if I just keep the speed up you know I guess I I know that you know I can recover quick and neither of us are going to have a great sprint but if I can just kind of keep the pace on him he's what is Lawrence now is he forty I'm like oh he's an old man like if I just keep the speed up he'll he'll tire out before the finish and um, yeah I mean it's, it's funny because I'd never been I guess in you know maybe since I was a junior been in a situation where. I've been in a, you know, sprint for the win and, you know, kind of that type of situation. And it's funny, all these little things you learn over the years, just being on pro teams, like, you know, I knew that there was going to be a headwind. So, you know, there was, I mean, you just start to like, it was amazing in that moment, just like feel all these, like things I had never thought about, but I'd heard just kind of like come into play, like, all right, you've got to take one side of the road so you can see them come around you. Um, which is just so funny because I'm not a sprinter. I've never been in a sprint, but like just through being around people, you start to kind of pick up on, on little tidbits. And yeah, I guess there was a point when I knew he wasn't going to come around me and I was, yeah, really just blown away. I mean, more just like, you know, there's a great shot of the finish, but more just out of excitement of like what an awesome day it was, you know, winning was sweet, but had I finished second, I probably would have done the same thing just because it was such a fun day out on the bike.
0: Yeah. Were you ready for the, Media onslaught that came at you as a result of that win because no doubt it had to be just a car wash of that day while you're exhausted and mentally just zapped of answering the same questions over and over and questions similar to this. But even after that, were you were you did you expect that? Were you ready for that? I was not. No, um, yeah, and it was awesome. You know, I'm happy to
1: happy to always speak to you know anyone who you know, wants to, wants to chat, whether it's, you know, journalists or I was on a lot of podcasts, whether it was, you know, media outlets or, you know, even with Payson and, and some other folks. Um, And for a while, of course it's, it's super fun. I guess what I didn't anticipate was just the amount of messages on social media, you know, and I tried to like, at least, you know, like or acknowledge people who, who send me a message. And I think that by the next morning when I woke up, um, I think I had like almost over a thousand direct messages and, you know, I was like, "Geez, that's a lot." You know, from people who I had, you know, raced with, and then like, you know, to hear messages. Richie Port sent me a message and said, "Dude, congratulations!" And that's when I was like, "Wow, whoa!" Like, he just won the Dolphin. I think he was won the Dolphin. It was like on the podium. Yeah. And it was just like, that's a huge result. You're cheering, like, you're saying congratulations to me, like, for this race I did in, you know, the middle of Kansas. Um, so that was the moment I realized, like, oh wow, this is, you know. it's a huge event and it's recognized you know globally especially within the cycling community you know it's it's as big if maybe not bigger than something like the dolphin which blows my mind because you know i grew up watching that race on tv and that was you know the pinnacle of kind of the pre-race or you know the pre-race before the tour de france and um yeah so it was it was like nothing i had ever really experienced as a professional rider but um yeah, good luck to whoever wins next year because <laughs> it's only going to be bigger. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Um, flash forward a couple months to North Carolina, Belgian waffle ride, um, uh, another unique course setup. This one never flat, never straight, uh, canopied, forested climbs and things like that. Much, much different than North Carolina, but I'm sorry, much different than Kansas, but the same result. A nice win. Um, we were following along with you there too, and. The group broke down to a very, it seemed like a pretty cohesive, but much, much larger group near the end of the ride until you made just what was a blistering attack on that last climb. Um, How much recon went into that? Did you know that that's where the chance was that you could, if there was anybody still with you, pull away and be able to uh, ride away for the win like that?
1: Yeah, so I was down in, uh, what was it, Canuga? Was that the name of the place we were staying? Yeah. 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 so I was, I was out there, I guess, two days prior. So the day before the race, I actually rode the, just the final, I guess, climb, um, and then down into the finish. Um, there were some other folks out there as well. So I met up with Adam Robert. She messaged me and we got together. I think Dylan, yeah. Dylan Johnson joined us. Cause he, you know, he knows the area. So he was like our guide. yeah he's Um, yeah. So we just did a little, a little loop and, and saw that final climb. And, you know, that was pretty much all that I had seen of, of any of the gravel down there. Um, but just hearing things before time, you know, that's like, again, the great thing of people just sharing information, you know, people, um, Matthew Boucher, I know him from racing and I think he helped kind of design part of the course. And so he was giving me the the lowdown. Yeah. Um, but no, that was a really hard and fun race. I mean, the the course was super challenging and, you know, I know there was a ton of rain ahead of time, which I think changed the final, um, but was great for me (laughs) because it was a paved road climb. (laughs) Yeah. but I guess you guys were in the car behind, but I, on the last kind of major descent, I dropped my chain and, you know, I had not had that happen all year. And I was like, Oh boy. And, you know, just being a, kind of inexperienced rider to one by setups um, and having never had it happen before, it took me a while to get it back on. So I was like, you know, cool. I'll just like try to catch up to them. But, you know, I caught them just before that climb and I was like, right, well, I got one, I have one opportunity to, to go. And I, you know, again, if it comes down to a sprint, I'm probably not going to beat anyone cause cause Lawrence isn't there. Um, so I have <laughs> this, <laughs> so I have this climb to, to really try to drop people. And um, yeah, I went for it there and it was just, yeah able to, able to hold on to the finish. But again, it was such a cool, such a cool race. Cause it's so different. I think that's what I've loved most about, you know, I guess the, the races I did this year in the calendar in general is that each race is different and unique and it. You know, there's different, you know, attributes of a rider that are going to favor different riders on different courses.
0: Well, you're, but you strike me, I don't know how you define yourself as a rider, but you strike me as a, as an all arounder, definitely a climber, but you also can do really well in, uh you know more up and down and more rolling terrain and things like that is that is that what makes you comfortable out there is knowing that if it's just about any any variable terrain that you got it handled
1: yeah i mean i guess it's you know i guess when i was racing on the road you know i was always like a climber but you know i'm a little bit heavier now which is just maybe a bit more robust you know and i'm still i'm six foot three so i'm not i'm not short um you know, and I guess the terrain we have here in, in Vermont is pretty similar to what we experienced in, in Asheville. You know, one thing we don't have is these, you know, kind of long, flatter roads like you'd have in, in Emporia. So one thing that I've just, you know, kind of implemented into my riding is, you know, I spent so many years training with power and now I'm just training with more than anything with speed. You know, I'll pick one really? one or two days a month where I'm like, cool, I'm just going to pick a hundred mile loop and I'm going to try to average 20 miles an hour for as long as I can. You know, in the first ride you do in March or, you know, April, when we don't have snow on the ground, it's like you get to like, you know, 60 miles, then you, you know, you lose it, you know, you, you can't ride above 20 miles an hour average anymore. Um, and it's something that's been so, you know, funny and, and to realize is, you know, races are ultimately one on speed. I mean, you look at most of these gravel races, you know, whether it's unbound, whether it's Asheville, whether it's SBT, you know, a lot of them like are one around 20 miles an hour, which is crazy to think. So, you know, because the races are so long and drawn out it's like if you can hold 20 miles an hour you'll be fine so then it's kind of thinking you know strategically you know if you can just keep that speed high you are you know most likely you're going to come back to the front group or they're not going to drop you by by that much um which is just yeah it's been a unique kind of lesson that I've learned this year and and a, and a great piece of advice for anyone listening yeah
0: i was going to say was it hard to mentally to make that switch when probably for years um, you're a bit of a slave to the power meter, right? Like I'm, I know I can do this for this amount of time at this number. Um, and then now just saying, no, I'm looking at just speed alone and we're going to train the body to go this hard for this long a time. Was it hard to make that switch mentally?
1: Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, you become so absorbed in, in power and, you know, something like Strava, like going for KOMs, which is so much fun. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't terribly hard. Cause it was like, it was still, you're still chasing something, you know, and rather than chasing something in a shorter interval, you're chasing something over the whole ride. Mm-hmm. And so I think what, you know, again, kind of what it taught me is like, how do you be efficient? You know, how can you use your power to, you know, most efficiently go up the climb, but then, you know, get back up to speed as quick as you can on the backside, you know, so not being overly tired at the top. So it takes you, you know, you know, a quarter mile to kind of get back up to speed. So it really just teaches you to be this, you know,
0: kind of diesel engine in a way. That's so fascinating. Um, Was that your own choice or was that driven by a coach that you consult with or anything like that? Or did you just say, I just know that that's how the future of winning these races is going to come and that's what I need to be prepared for.
1: I mean, I think it was just a common, no, it was no coach, Um, just kind of a combination of things, you know, just being more, I guess, constrained with time, you know, with having a full-time job and, you know, trying to maximize my training, um, you know, a lot of stuff during the winter is done indoors on my kicker, but then in the you know summers I can get out for maybe some longer rides on the weekend or once in a while during the week. And, you know, how can I get as much, you know, I guess training in the least amount of time as possible. And I found these, you know, one kind of one ride every couple of weeks, just going and thrashing yourself was, was important. I guess that's one thing, you know, at the moment, there's not a ton of these gravel stage races. So you really just need to be good on a day. Whereas, In the world tour, you know, you're training to be good for five days or two weeks or a whole grand tour. Um, So you don't necessarily need the day-to-day, you know, thrashing yourself. You can kind of, you know, do a couple of big days and then really just call it, you know, the rest of the time, just go ride your bike and
0: enjoy it. I think I remember reading an article where you talked about being in large groups now in gravel and how it relates to your world tour experience and the reasons that you retired there. Um, how do how do you mentally tackle that nowadays when in those large groups? Do you do you sit back a little bit on descents and kind of plan your own route, or do you do you find yourself riding as aggressive as you might in a world tour race?
1: No, not at all. Um, I'm also just not the most technically, you know, savvy rider. Especially when you you know, compare myself to someone like Keegan or or Russell. Um, you know, especially riders who come off the mountain yeah. bike side yeah. of things, they've, yeah, they've got a skill that's just phenomenal. Um, so I, I just tend to take things a little bit more conservatively, um, you know, partially because of the crashes I've had. And, you know, the last thing I want to do at you know, these events is, you know, call my wife from a hospital in Emporia and tell her I hit my head again. Right. Um, but again, I, I think it's, it's also in a way advantageous in, in gravel racing, because you're also not just, you know, being cautious and you know looking after you know yourself you're also looking after your equipment which i think is you know a lot of these sections that are technical are also the sections that are dangerous you know that's where the rocks are that's where the you know you're going to pinch flat or you're going to crash you're going to break a wheel so it's in a way it's kind of i don't say beneficial that i ride in that manner um and more and more you know riders are trying to well everyone knows this now so people are you know trying to attack me on on those sections which is which is great you know it's cool that people can excel in different areas but you uh,
0: saw that though um, in north carolina and it never seemed to phase you like you wouldn't you would kind of slide back on the descents and they would look around and try and attack you and you just glide right back into the group and even when you dropped your chain alarm bells went off in that group and they started digging in really hard and we're there in the car and i said man my man's coming back i just know it (laughs) and then soon enough we look in the rearview mirror and you were right on the bumper and we pulled over and let you slide back into the group. And they, I think they thought, man, they had to know at that point that their day was done one way or the other.
1: Yeah. well, I mean, we had no more gravel sections there, but you know, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, keeping, if you can keep people inside it make such a big difference and, and, you know, both as a chaser and as a, you know, escaper, you know, if, if you're being chased, you know, if you look back and you see that I'm still there, they're like, Oh, well, Ian's still here. So maybe they don't push on or commit, you know, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's also a benefit of, you know, riding a little bit further back, you know, you get to see the route that the people up front are taking. So you get a little bit more time to just kind of navigate. And, you know, I guess it, it's, it's definitely a benefit that I have, you know, the strength of the world tour, cause you can afford to, at times, you know, waste a little bit of energy and let a gap open up and, and close it. Um, but I know that that won't, you know, having just the, the pure power won't, won't last forever. And so we'll see how that changes over the coming years.
0: Well, now, too, the word is out, and a lot more guys are giving off on the World Tour and moving over into gravel here in the U.S. A couple of big names have announced recently they'll be included in the uh, racing next year. What's your take on that? I thought, uh, good thing, bad thing? Is it uh, going to make the races way, way, way more competitive? You know,
1: I guess I've, I've thought a lot about this over the last you know couple months since I heard about the, you know, the announcement of this, you know, UCI, USA cycling series, and obviously the lifetime series. Um, and for a while I had opinions on it. Um, but I've come to realize that, you know, I think that sport is going to evolve regardless of what, you know, everyone or what, what certain people want, you know, whether it's people who are already at the top or people who are trying to aspire, you know, it's going to evolve and change and, you know, people who did Unbound in 2002 or, or 2010, you know, it's a different event than it was then. Um, so I think that the change and the evolution is, is great. And, I, you know, I welcome anyone to it. I just, you know, the one thing that I would hope is that it does keep this unique kind of spirit and culture and identity alive. Um, I think that can happen. And I think, you know, there's so many great events and, you know, organizers of events out there that it's going to, you know, Gravel is going to continue to find a way to be you know, the most fun way to, to race and participate in, in events.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your, well, one of the big transitions for you after the world tour is in addition to having to train and race at the highest possible levels, you got a full-time gig now, man, uh, with one of the biggest names in the brand, you're crunching spreadsheets, you're, I'm sure you're on video calls and everything else like the rest of us. Um, how's that transition been and what's it like, uh, working at Wahoo? I'm back. Sorry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. it happens, it happens around here a lot, like I said. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, my question was now in uh, the transition from world tour athlete and focusing on just one thing racing, training, recovering, wash, rinse, repeat. Now, as a uh, top star in the U.S. gravel world, you got to train and race and all that other stuff but oh by the way you're holding down a pretty high profile full-time gig with wahoo um how has that transition been like what's that uh, got to feel like because now i'm sure you're out there like the rest of us and crunching spreadsheets and doing video calls and having meetings and things like that and trying to do all the other stuff to, to keep up with the rest of the pack
1: Yeah, spreadsheets and um slack are my demise but um no, it's, it's, it's been great. And again, you know, the, the 2020 year was like a great opportunity for me to really just get caught up as far as being in the workplace. You know, I didn't have to focus as much on, uh, you know, you know, the racing side of it. Cause I was traveling to, you know, I wasn't traveling to travel to races. So I was at, at home being able to kind of like acquire these skills that I needed to, to be part of, you know, a functioning company. Um, you know, if anything, it just makes me appreciate the ability that I still get to ride and race my bike. You know, if anything, it makes me, you know, really enjoy just getting out on the bike and riding. Cause I, all of a sudden, you know, I don't have all day to ride. It's like, cool. I can sneak in a ride here, a ride there. Um, and it's fun. And I guess it adds a lot of perspective to the races. And I guess a lot of the, the people, you know, who are participating in these races, you know, some people are, you know, have full-time jobs, have kids, have, you know, all these other things going on and they still sign up for, unbound. I'm like, geez, these people are, you know, they're crazy. Like, you know, they think people think we go fast. I'm like, that's way harder, you know, for people to, you know, have incredibly busy lives. And so I still feel incredibly fortunate that I work within the industry and, and Wahoo's super understanding with, you know, the realization that, you know, I need to do some lunch rides here and there. And it's uh, no, it's been great, you know, and it's, it's fun to still acquire skills. You know, it's, it's really strange at times to be in the breakaway with someone like Pete and Colin and, you know, be the person who works on their contracts, but then also be racing with them. Um, but it's, you know, it keeps, yeah, it keeps me, it keeps me busy and it's, you know, I guess it's, uh, I always enjoy learning new things. So it's been a, yeah, it's been a nice balancing act.
0: As part of that though, you were the feature athlete for Wahoo and their big promotion around the great migration race in Kenya. Um, just following along through the media and the great stories and everything that were written about it it sounds like an amazing experience i'm overstating it but like a life kind of changing experience to be able to see cycling from that perspective and see the the growth and excitement on those athletes what was that like um would you would you would you do it all over again if you could are are you going to do it all over again um how was that experience
1: yeah i mean going to to kenya just for one was a you know a phenomenal experience. And, and, you know, as well as anyone, you know, there's no better way to see a place than on a bike, you know, because you you sure. go places you wouldn't go in a car, you know, you can cover more ground than you would walking. Um, and especially the, the course that they took us on was just like, you're just going through little villages and on, you know, little motorcycle tracks, like, you know, you can have the best, you know, navigation system in the world. And these roads are not on maps. You know, it's like, I don't know how they, <laughs> they developed this course. Um, but it was so cool to see, you know, this, boom of of gravel cycling in east africa for so long you know these athletes have tried to make it on the road but we did a couple road rides while we were there and it was like super dangerous and there's not a ton of pavement and you know the roads are super congested so you know to open up this avenue of these gravel roads that these athletes are like whoa we have a phenomenal roads to train on all over the place now we have these bikes and equipment that you know allow us to to get on you know roads that are safer and you know oftentimes more fun to ride um but it was, it was really cool to, you know, to connect with these athletes and, and to see that, you know, gravel is possibly the best avenue for them to pursue to make a career as a professional cyclist, you know, the, the cost for, you know, an individual versus, you know, a whole team or a world tour team needing a bus and all these other things um, is far less, and yeah, it's definitely a place I would love to go back to. I don't think I'm going to be able to go this year. Um, my buddy Ansel Dickey, who does a lot of photography, is happened to get married on that weekend, which is the same weekend as Oregon Trail. So I've got two races I'd love to go to, but um, so I'll be at I'll be at his wedding that weekend. But no, it's it's it is a phenomenal event, and you know it was point to point every day, and you know I've done you know every Grand Tour, and oftentimes Grand Tours aren't organized as well as this event. You know we were sleeping in tents and on you know mats, but um, you know, you got to the you got to the finish, and your tent was set up, and you had a sleeping bag and hot meal, and it was a it was a really cool experience. And I think something that you know anyone who's looking to to go ride in East Africa and, and travel the world on a bike that's you know definitely an event to check out.
0: Well, and then there were big plans too to have a lot of those athletes up here and do a couple key races in the U.S., but those plans got thwarted by the State Department and couldn't figure out their way to uh, allow that to happen, which is a real shame. Because I know everybody at BWR, we were so excited to be a part of that. Um, is there any chance that that can be revisited and we'll get some of those athletes up here to check out this scene up in the United States?
1: Yeah, so we're definitely looking at bringing them back next year. You know, it was a it was a promise that we had made to them to to bring them over, and you know the, um, you know, the, really the, the foundation of creating this race and the Imani team was like, you know, to create these opportunities for East African athletes. And, and what that is is, you know, getting to go to the biggest and best races in the world. And, you know, for the first time in the history, you know, the US, or I guess, maybe since the first time since mountain biking, but the U S we have that, we have the premier gravel races and, you know, being an American company with Wahoo, you know, we have the ability to like, you know, bring these athletes here to race, Um, you know, unfortunately they weren't able to make it this year because you said the, you know, the state department and it was a headache and it was just one of many barriers that these athletes come up against. Um, But yeah, the hope is to bring them over next year. And I've actually been staying in really close contact with them all. I'm actually coaching one of the, uh, the young Kenyan riders, um, Jordan. And yeah, so we stay in touch and it's uh, you know, I just, I got so inspired just seeing the passion and drive that these athletes had, you know, because I, you know, I see, I saw the same, you know, fire on them that, that I had when I was, you know, younger. Um, And then I see how many opportunities they had. And, and, you know, even though you work hard for it, you still have this, you know, relatively clear pathway to get to the top. And, and for them, you know, simply the fact that they couldn't make it to the U S you know, they can put in all the work, but they just need that opportunity to, to show themselves. And that's what, you know, the migration gravel race is about is bringing in, you know, international field of super strong riders to race against the Africans on their home, Home soil, but then again, you know, bringing them over to the U.S. or Europe to participate in gravel events where
0: they can go up against some of the biggest talent in the world. That's so good. Um, it shows you too, I think, the universality of, of of the bicycle, right? And how it's this beautiful machine that can take us places and explore things. And whether that's on a, a continent, the other side of the equator, or halfway around the world, that the same excitement, the same love, can come out from. Um, and that same experience you can share with somebody with being on a bicycle like that is just so so beautifully universal.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And you know, the bicycle is used for so many different purposes globally as well. And, you know, I guess that's why I really resonated with, you know, these, these African riders. And and Wahoo put together a, a film called Fursa. Um, and I've probably seen it five or six times. And every time, like the last 30 seconds, I start crying. Like we had to present it to a company meeting and like, I had to turn my camera off cause I was just like crying because, you know, I just see so much, you know, I guess I see how much fortune I had to, you know, be born in the U S with, you know, you know, a system by which I could kind of get to the top of the sport and, you know, how much cycling has brought me in my life and to realize that, you know, for some people, they regardless how hard they work, there's like roadblocks. Um, so, you know, to be part of that project and try to help those athletes is, is huge. And, and, you know, it's not just with, with Amani team and migration gravel race, but, you know, so many different organizations that feel so much more welcome and, you know, respected within the gravel community has been awesome to see this year. And I think it's something that, you know, has been a huge positive change to the cycling industry as a whole. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope it's able to happen and and certainly, um I know everybody at BWR would love to be part of it if it does so let's just try and make that happen yeah um, I want to maybe just look forward a little bit here into next year you made a a, a public announcement about your non-participation in the Grand Prix I want to maybe uh give you a chance to expand on that a little bit is that that was obviously a very uh, conscious choice on your behalf what what's behind that and and what are some of the reasons why um you're gonna try and level out the schedule and not focus on on that series in particular
1: well because i gotta win the power rankings don't i gotta go after <laughs> it was simple that's the answer <laughs> um yeah i'm actually i funny i didn't read that article because it's behind a paywall and i don't have a subscription but i i, I do believe i know what i said to betsy um yeah, you know, it was something when it first came up, I, you know, I did sign up for it. Cause I felt, you know, I was like, Oh man, like I don't want to miss out on this, but you know, the more I thought about it, you know, I had so much fun racing this year and, and I'm sure it probably said this in the article, but it was the first time in, you know, really in my whole career where I got to race my bike just for the purpose of me wanting to do the races I wanted to do. You know, even when you're a junior, you're trying to like, oh, I got to get to national so I can, you know, make the national team or in the world tour, you gotta, you know, go to the races you're told. Um, and for the first time, I'm like, I get to choose which races I want to go to and how many races I want to do a year. And so wow, that's a concept. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It, which is, you know, most people's experience. But with, um, you know, signing up for that series, I started to realize, like, you know, I don't want to also, you know, not fulfill my obligation to the race. You know, you're taking someone else's spot. And if we get to, you know, I don't want to go to Michigan for a mountain bike race or, you know, October, it's too late for big sugar. Um I would have felt bad to give up my, you know, to take a spot and not be able to, you know, go to an event or not, you know, not be able to travel or not have the fitness to actually perform. And that was one thing this year is, you know, almost every race I went to, I was like super excited. Well, I was super excited to be at every race I was. And like, I was in good shape and like, it was, it was so much fun because I really wanted to be there. And, um, just personally, I felt like if I put myself in a situation where I was forcing myself to go to these events, I may not feel the, you know, the same inspiration to you know to give it my all and you know it's funny because i guess i was high up in the rankings of the the bwr triple crown and pete's like dude you got to come to cedar city you can win the crown Uh, i was like (laughs) i mean i i could have um but at the same time i was thinking like dude i've had such a great year like what can happen now besides not do great (laughs) you know so it was at the same time i was like i've been so satisfied with you know kind of blowing away my expectations just having so fun with all the races um I was like, cool, I'm, I'm content with, with what I did. And I had a great time this summer racing my bike again. And um, it's just important for me to keep that sense of, you know, of love for, for going to these races because it, it can very quickly become, you know, a job. And, and, you know, for me, as you said, you know, I have a full-time job. It, it isn't my sole, you know, means to, to happiness and joy. You know, I love riding my bike, but it's, um, you know, ultimately something I, I want to do and not that I have to do.
0: With that all said, then have you even laid out a schedule or is it still a little bit in flux? And if so, where are you going to, where are you planning on racing?
1: It's still very much in flux. My wife is pregnant at the moment. Um, we'll have yeah. a baby some point between now and the first week of January. Um, okay. So, yeah, so that obviously will kind of probably delay the start of the year, but um you know, fairly similar schedule to last year. You know, I, I enjoyed a lot of the events that I went to, and it was a, a good mix of of courses and locations. Um, I'm looking at maybe going down to South Carolina for the Croats in Buck 50 as well, a race up in BC. Um, but yeah, I mean, largely the the race calendar is is probably fairly similar to to what I did this year. You know, it's fortunate to live in Vermont where we have you know, rooted and and Overland, which are both uh, on the power rankings. So to Two races I can, you know, drive to, which is which is great. Um, you gotta own your backyard, right? You gotta win the races in your home state like that, right? True, true. And, and it would be awesome to see, you know, more races pop up here in, in New England. But I guess, the, you know, the the beauty of it is is you know, you have this traveling circus of people who are going to all the races, but every race or every race attracts a different crowd of people. You know, the people who are at BWR San Diego are far different than the people who are at BWR Asheville, and that's cool, you know, especially you know, for a gravel event like BW Asheville to show up there, you know, people are like, "Whoa, we've never had any, you know, big gravel races, you know, like this before. And and it's cool to see that there's still so many kind of untapped areas of, of the U S that, you know, gravel can still explore.
0: Right on. Um, it's it's so although i i will say i know bwr is not a gravel race a, a mixed surface race <laughs> just depends where it is the san diego event you know clearly not but the others certainly um kansas was what 90 95 gravel roads north carolina probably 60 70 so we just go where there where there's roads you know it doesn't matter
1: yeah exactly and and that's like again that's what's so cool about you know gravel at the moment and speaking of the series um you know, I guess my big fear too, is that gravel becomes, or, you know, whatever we want to call it, gravel alternative races become defined as what they are. You know, I guess that's my biggest fear is that, you know, someone comes in and says, okay, here's what a gravel race is. You know, it has to be between 110 and 140 miles and it has to be 50% gravel and 50% this or that. Um, I hope it stays how it is now where every race is different and unique and, you know, the, the geography and the, you know, landscape decides what the course is, not the, you know, whether it's a governing body or the, you know, group of event organizers, like that every race can be
0: catered to to where it's located. Were you surprised that the UCI announced their plans to have a gravel world championship and then the fact that they want to do it here in the US?
1: Uh, I'm not surprised. No, and it makes sense to, I guess, to do it here in the US. Um, I feel like there's still just so much unknown about it. Um, you know, yeah, I've, every, I've heard Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard some some rumors and and actually spoken to some people at USA Cycling um about it when I when it was first launched, they reached out. Um and yeah, again, it's you know, it's a series. I I have no really knowledge of what it's gonna be like or where the other races are or or, you know, the qualification system for the world championships. Um but yeah, I guess if you know, if I'm not doing the lifetime series, I probably am not going to be doing the the USA cycling world you know uci series just because i mean i'm already trying to plan out my year now and we we know very little about it um yeah and i guess i love the the uniqueness of you know each event organizer having their own kind of feel to races and their own fingerprint on it and that's you know one of the beauty of having a diverse calendar at the moment
0: good on you um i think that's a very um uh pro-like mentality to bring into it and and that speaks to all your great years as a as a professional in europe and now here in the u.s racing at such a top level um are you ready to be a dad is that uh, it's got to be an exciting time around the house over there um it's been crazy
1: <laughs> i don't know if i'm ready um yeah we've got some a construction project that's going on far too long and becoming far too close to the due date um but no, I, I, am excited. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I've long thought about and you've had obviously almost nine months now to kind of prepare, but I feel like as, as the father, you're not really ready until the baby shows up. I mean, you can, you know, read things and research things, but um, I feel like my wife has such a good connection with our, with our daughter that, you know, I don't really have just because, you know, I'm not, carrying her in my belly at the moment um yeah, so i'm looking forward to it it's you know obviously going to change things around our household but you know got a super supportive family and um you know there have been plenty of you know a lot of people in the bike race world have kids and, and they make it work so just uh yeah one more one more uh piece to keep in yeah keep intact
0: If anybody can pull it off with the aplomb that you can, uh, it's you, my friend, um, that's super exciting and much congrats on all of your great success this year, racing and otherwise, it's been a lot of fun just to follow you and to, uh, get to know you a little bit out on the circuit. And, uh, and we certainly appreciate you sitting down here with us at pure gravel and uh, making some time for our podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. And hopefully I'll, um,
0: yeah, I've strategically planned my races
1: to attend as many, races that are in the pure gravel series as possible so i will uh hopefully be back here next year and we can hopefully be on some step of the podium
0: oh you know it man we're looking forward to it all right best of luck and uh happy holidays to you
1: awesome appreciate it you
0: got it thanks man.